back to another edition of the Varian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's show where we hit on all of the biggest news of the week. And there was some good news regarding BPW. Uh, as you might have seen for the second consecutive year, we were awarded the Best Club Podcast by World Soccer Talk, the World Soccer Talk Awards. I want to say, first and foremost, thank you to World Soccer Talk for uh, one, nominating us and putting us in the competition, but a huge thank you also to the whole BFW community who stepped up, voted for us, and really captured that win for us. So we do appreciate that. Felt like it would be a good time amidst all of the crazy transfer news that's going on to just take a step back from that for a couple of minutes and uh, just talk about how appreciative I personally am, uh, not just for the staffers that are out there putting out great posts on our website and putting together great podcasts here, but also of the entire community for the support that you guys give. Uh, there are a lot of different ways that people in the BFW community could spend their time. Uh, there are a lot of different outlets out there, a lot of different teams they probably follow. And it's to me very striking that there is such a massive following, such a massive sense of community for how people come together and can typically have civilized conversations about Bayern Munich, the German national team, and basically everything football related. We have a lot of good banter, a lot of good discussions on the site. I know that we get a lot of great comments fed back to us for the podcast and through social media, and it's all appreciated. Uh, without all of you out there and how you make this whole experience fun, we would not be doing this. And let's be honest, more than anything, this is about having fun with all of this. It's not as if, uh, you know, I'm Scrooge McDuck jumping into a vault full of coins uh, <laughs> as a swimming pool, right? Like none of us at BFW are getting rich off of this. That is for sure. But we love doing it. We love being a part of this community and being able to be that centralized source of information, centralized source of community for everyone to run to when something big happens or to go somewhere and have a place to be if you want to get your voice out there. And to me, that means a lot. And I know that we all don't agree on everything. That is for sure. I know I sit here every week and say a lot of things uh, that that you mostly all agree with, except for the cargo shorts point from last week, as I have found out that most of you are on my side and we will stand strong together on that. But otherwise, I think that a lot of us have different opinions on what successful football looks like, what success at Bayern Munich looks like, what positions are in need, what players are in need. And it's, to me, the wonderful thing about all of this is that we get to discuss this daily, that we all get to put our opinions out there. And sure, sometimes it does get a little heated, although I, I try and stay out of that uh, because it's not a good look for me if I'm personally going to war with everyone that disagrees with me, right? I, I'm okay with people having a different opinion. Um, but the fact that it's there and we can get there and we can congregate and we can quite frankly, bitch about things when they're bad. We can make fun of each other and poke some fun at each other when 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 we you know say some dumb things. I know I say a lot of dumb things, that's for sure. But it, it, it's a good place to be. And I think it's a well-run community. I think it's a place where Bayern Munich and Germany fans can come. And I don't want to say feel safe, but in a way you can, because you know the internet 
and social media, it is a pretty toxic environment. But for the most part, at our site and with our podcast, we're able to really foster that sense of community. And even when we do run into the people that want to do nothing but bring the conversation down, we do let it go for a bit. And then if you cross the line, you go. And unfortunately for some, that's just how it works. But uh, the big point here is to say thank you to you all as a community for supporting us and, and really to say thanks to the entire podcast team and also the website team. I know a lot of the people cross over and move back and forth and that's great. And I love the versatility that they have, but some folks don't want to be involved in the podcast. And that's great too, because we absolutely need them helping keep the site going. And, and if you haven't noticed, BFW has become the go-to English language site uh, for Bayern Munich and German news on the internet. I mean, we are, we're a pretty big site now and that's all thanks to you. So uh, we appreciate it. And I guess quickly, I do want to say to the staffers, like I, I know when I, tune in uh, to the podcast that I'm not on. Uh, I always enjoy it. And I think you guys put out great work. There's a lot of differing opinions, a lot of differing viewpoints, some strong personalities. Uh, I love every second of it. It's almost better for me to sit back and be a fan. And some of you might uh, actually prefer that too, <laughs> but it's also, it's it's pretty much as, as good for me to sit back and listen to you guys banter and to you guys give your thoughts so I appreciate that, all of the effort that goes in. Running this type of podcast, it's not easy. We have people in different geographies. It sometimes is very difficult to link up. And that's why you know, you will get a steady dose of me at times because in the end, the most important thing is to, to get our episodes out and stay consistent. And if we can't get people to link, link up, then you get me, which hopefully isn't that bad. Uh, but I do appreciate everyone's support and I really appreciate how the BFW and BPW staffers come together and put out great content, whether it's on the website or on this podcast. So appreciate everybody. Let's keep it up. Let's see if we can get a third title next year. It'll probably be a little bit harder. So we're going to have to come out a little bit stronger, put out even better content and have a great year. And if things keep shaping up the way they are right now, it's going to be an eventful year to say the least. And I guess that's a good spot for us to dive right into the big happenings of the week. And I know we talk about this every week, but it's pretty hard not to because Harry Kane is the big news. There is no other news that even comes close to Bayern Munich potentially acquiring Harry Kane. And as we all know, by this point, there have been a lot of ups and downs in this pursuit. And I have always been someone who's been steadfast in this belief that Harry Kane is not going to leave England. And even now, I will have to tell you, even I am starting to relent on that just based on what we've seen over the past week. I still don't 100% buy in that it's going to happen. But I can say that there are some major steps moving forward. There are also some big time roadblocks. But the important thing is, if we believe all of the reports that have come out, is that Kane is open to the move, that he has wanted to make this move. And, you know, the most interesting thing of the stories that we saw this week is that Brazo and Thomas Tuchel made a trip to London and they directly visited with Kane and had a conversation with him. And after that conversation, he came away feeling that he wants to make this move to Germany. Now, a couple of months later, we're looking at this situation and Spurs chairman Daniel Levy is now ultra pissed off that Bayern Munich went behind his back and met with his player 
And that is causing a lot of friction. It's causing friction in that Levy, one, became even more insulted that Byron loft, lofted out that just awful idea of a 70 million euro bid for Kane. Listen, if that is true, and, and yeah, every report indicates that it is, I don't know what Byron was thinking. I know you have to start somewhere with negotiations, but that's insulting. And after, you know, Byron, an organization that prides itself on doing the right thing, I mean, to go and meet with Kane, obviously, I don't have a huge problem with it from my perspective, but, and I don't think that this isn't something that isn't common in football, believe me, but Byron is always about doing the right thing. And there can be a perception that doing that behind Levy's back was probably not so great to say the least. So you have that factor in, you have in the insulting low ball bid, and now Levy is pissed. He's digging himself in and he, he is at this point posturing through the media, I guess we could say with the way things have leaked out that he might not sell Kane, that he could be content to let this ride out, keep Kane another season and then let him walk away on a free because that would give him a full year to try and convince Kane that things can work out in London and that he will have the opportunity to win trophies and that this is all just a minor blip on the radar screen. Maybe he's living in a fantasy world, maybe not, but I almost get that sense of how it could play out this way. Sure, it is a massive financial risk, but if you think about it, Selling Kane now might net them nine figures, right? It might get them 100 million euro up to, what, 120 million euro. That's great. How much of an impact would losing Kane have on the bottom line this year? And I think that's a big point that it would be great to have numbers to explore, but what kind of impact would that have? Kane, of course, is a very popular player. He is not just for club, but also for country. He is a high scorer. He brings a lot of excitement to that team. He is a bona fide presence in that country. To lose him would absolutely cause a stir in terms of fan interest. There will be some fans that will check out. As we know at Bayern Munich, there are some fans that are strictly, I don't want to say strictly, but mostly fans of a particular player rather than a club, or their, their, attraction to a player is stronger than the attraction to a club. And that doesn't mean uh, that I guess it's a bad thing with that. I mean, let's be honest, kids are growing up differently now. Individual players in most cases now mean more than teams. So the loyalties there among these generations are changing. If you're in the old head crowd like me, and I am 46, going to turn 47 in August, you still have that probably hybrid approach where the team or the club is most important, but you have players that you admire, that you like to watch, and that you will follow their careers as they move on. Uh, this younger generation, and I know I sound like a grumpy old man at this point, it's not always the same. That attraction to the club is not quite as strong as it was for people in my generation or even nowhere near as close as the people that are even older than I am, where the club reigns supreme and players are just numbers that come and go. Now those individual players mean a lot more. So I do wonder if Kane was sold this summer, how much of an impact that would have at Tottenham, not just financially, but what would happen to that team? Is that the kind of team that would, 
I don't want to say slide into the relegation danger zone because I don't know that, that there's that much of a dearth of talent that that would happen. But you don't know how a team would react without that centerpiece. And sure, you would assume like, all right, yeah, Harry Kane moves on. Tottenham's going to take that 100 million, 120 million, whatever it ends up being, and they're going to apply that to get a striker. But as we all know at Bayern Munich, who can you get? Who is out there that's going to come in and be just 100% certain to make that kind of impact? A lot of people would say Victor Osiman, and that is a very popular choice. Osiman is a, listen, he's a dynamic player. There's no doubting it. Bayern Munich has some reservations about how he would fit. And I think that's fair in some respects. And one of the big debates we had at BFW was his physical stature. So he's about six foot one, but he is about 170 pounds. So for Bayern Munich, they want a bigger, stronger, heavier striker. Someone that's somewhere in that 190 pound to 200 pound range. Someone that can go into the box and battle. That's what they want. And it's not to say that Osiman's weak. It's not to say that he's short because he's certainly not. It's just that the way that he plays might not be the fit that Byron wants. And we saw what happened this year when Byron tried to go outside of their comfort zone at striker and they tried to use Sadio Mane initially. That didn't really work out. We saw how things developed and evolved to a four triple two. And even though that had some amounts of success, it just wasn't the way that Byron Munich wanted their club team to play. So, if you're Tottenham, your your best option, by all accounts out there, is Osiman. But what if you feel the same way? What if Tottenham has the same kind of idea for a striker that Bayern Munich has? Given that that Osiman is going to cost, could cost as much as 150 million euros, it, it could be a little bit uneasy to think that they would be confident in being able to go out and get him, and even less confident that he would be a fit for them. So I get it. You can't just say, all right, sell Kane, go get Osman. That could be a problem. Randall Kolomolani has been most recently linked to PSG, who are expected to ramp up their efforts to get him, especially now that there is at least a little bit of doubt that Kylian Mbappe will be there for the long term. Kolomolani, being French, is a player who would appeal to them. He's got a, obviously, he's a bigger fella. He is six foot three. I think he's about 180, which is a little bit bigger than Osman in terms of weight, but also his playing style is more of a wide forward, which honestly works out great at PSG because that's the role that Mbappe plays. So uh, I think Kolomwani would be a great fit at PSG. Would he fit at Tottenham? It would be hard for me to think that that would be another seamless transition. So I would get how Tottenham might be, just like Bayern, a little bit skeptical there. Dusan Vlahovic, that's a whole separate issue. You're talking about a guy who does meet those physical traits. Bigger guy, six foot three, six foot four, 200 pounds, physically stronger, physically able to battle in the box and, and take that beating that's going to be required in there. The problem with him is he just has not done it consistently enough. So for Bayern Munich, it could be a little bit more conceivable that Vlahovic would be someone they could try and work with because they have so much offensive talent and attacking talent surrounding him that if he can just be a target man who's efficient in front of the net, a la Nicholas Fulkrug, that he could be efficient, score 20 plus goals and be an effective player for Bayern Munich. But at Tottenham, you're talking about replacing Harry Kane. 
do you want to risk all of that? All that you have with Kane on Dusan Vlahovic, who is a good player, but did not exactly light the world up last season. So in many ways, Tottenham would just be passing the buck if it sells Kane. They may have an unhappy Kane for a season, but that might be better than not having anyone that will fit your playing style. And it's going to be a really fascinating case here because if you believe the reports, Kane wants to leave. He wants to go. Bayern Munich's offering him that chance and he wants to make that move. But Levy has no incentive to let him go. He has no drive to make that sale because one, it will weaken his team. And two, it could ultimately hurt his bottom line, which sounds crazy given that Kane is going to bring nine figures back, but it could. And it could really send fans into the dumps ahead of the season, which you don't want to do either. You want morale to be high. I know at Tottenham that might be kind of tough considering the odds that they're facing this year, but they are by far a stronger team with Kane than with anyone else, barring Erling Holland or Robert Lewandowski walking through those doors and occupying that number nine role. I think this is going to be a situation where Bayern Munich is really going to have to work hard. Harry Kane is going to have to work hard. His representation is going to have to work hard because as I see it right now, Levy sure is definitely posturing because if he has to sell Kane, he wants to get as much money as possible. But in the end, I think even he knows he doesn't really have to sell Kane because the financial impact of selling him versus what will happen if he leaves, it might even itself out as, as odd as that is to say. So, I mean, if you're a Byron fan, you should feel cautiously optimistic about things. You should feel optimistic that he has by all accounts said he wants to make the move, but now it's in the hands of Levy who is already not happy with Bayern Munich. So as always at BFW, we will be following every twist and turn of this saga. I still feel the same way. I'm still doubting Kane's going to make the move, but I really, I, I want to eat crow. I, I do. I want to have to take a big crow Sando and munch down on it because I want Byron to get this player. I want him to lead the attack. And I, I will 100% say, if Kane makes that move, I think Bayern Munich will be set up. Now, of course, injuries can always play a role in everything when it comes to Bayern Munich. But I will say they are set up to be the number two or number three team in terms of favorites for the Champions League. I think the Bundesliga would be a cakewalk with Kane. I think after what Byron went through this season and still managed to pull out a title, having someone as established and as talented at Kane as Kane leading your attack, being a consistent fixture in the starting 11, giving Thomas Tuchel someone to lean on offensively. I think that would 100% make this an easy transition and make Byron a runaway favorite in the Bundesliga. Not even close. I think with the way RB Leipzig has weakened itself in this summer and how Dortmund always finds to seems to find a way to Dortmund. Uh, Byron is set up very nicely if the move goes through. And I, I mean, listen, I'm 100% certain of that. I think you're talking about Man City. I think you're talking about Real Madrid. I know some people would want to lump Barca into that mix. Some people might feel like Chelsea's on the rebound. Some people might think that Liverpool can get itself together and find that magic that they once had under Jurgen Klopp. 
I think it just comes down to this. Kane makes the move. You have Man City, Real Madrid, and Bayern, and that is your power three in terms of the Champions League next season, which just means that Bayern's going to draw Man City again uh, in the early stages of the knockout rounds of the Champions League. I think you can almost book that because that's just how it goes for Bayern Munich. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. And there's a lot of other issues going on with transfers in Bayern Munich. So we're going to touch on those and uh, see where things stand on a lot of these players and take a look at why things might not be working out for Leon Goretzka and how his exit uh, could be imminent during this summer. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the weekend warm up podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Thanks for hanging in after that break. Uh, as we talked about in the first segment, it is a huge summer for Bayern Munich. Harry Kane is the biggest name out there. Harry Kane is getting all of the attention. But man, there are a lot of other issues going on with Bayern Munich's roster at this point. Not the least of which is Nusar Mizrahi, who has been unhappy about his role under Tuchel, not been thrilled with the setup he has had uh, since making the move to Bayern Munich. He is a player who wants to be out on the field. He does not want to have a bench role. He views himself as a starting level player. He certainly performed pretty well last year when he was healthy. Of course, he had a long bout with a COVID-related ailment that that kept him out of action. And I don't want to say put him in the doghouse for Julian Nagelsmann and Thomas Tuchel. That would be the wrong terminology, but it did put him kind of out of sight, out of mind. And the club simply just moved on with other options while he was injured, including getting Jao Cancelo on loan. So Mizrahi is unhappy. He is... His agent has put him out there to Juventus. There are some other clubs in Italy that are interested in him. Clearly, there is some kind of disconnect going on with Mizrahi. And the news that Bayern is still chasing Kyle Walker and that this is a move that could go through, as much as, I, again, I'm going to doubt that an English player, even if Walker is past his prime now, is going to make that move. It's still there. The connections are still there. There's still rumors that Byron is in on him and is trying to convince him. If Walker somehow decides to join Byron Munich, I think Mesrali is out. I don't think he's hanging around for that. And as much as the club is, you know, might want him to stay and might be eager to force him to stay, the new CEO has already said he doesn't, he's not going to keep players who don't want to be at Byron Munich. They are not the kind of players that he wants for the club. And he will make an effort to get rid of any player like that. I just have a feeling if Walker comes in, Mizrahi is not going to hesitate and he's going to ask to be uh, to, to, to be let go. And sure, that sounds pretty bad for Bayern Munich because Mizrahi has talent and he looked like he might be able to be a fit in some respects. But in the end, you're not going to want to keep a guy who's going to be unhappy and potentially become a distraction. You already have Ryan Gravenberg filling that role. You don't need Nusar Mizrahi to become yet another player. So, Mizrahi, one way or the other at this point, is definitely put off a little bit by Bayern Munich. And whether that Walker move happens or not, he's got his eyes on leaving already. And that could potentially be a difficult position for Bayern Munich to be in. With Pavard leaving, with Luka Hernandez leaving, uh, you've got still have Stanisic, you still have Bunasar. <laughs> I know, I know, that's funny, right? Um, you have options. Uh, you know, Cancelo was on his loan and he left. But losing Mizrahi, even if you get Walker, would be tough. And I think it would show that there was never a full organizational buy-in into some of the moves that Brazo made. I think he had some, some leverage and some clout to make some moves that he liked 
The club now seems to not maybe be on the same page with a lot of those moves. So, uh, and, and clearly there was whatever those PowerPoints had in them. It didn't have anything on trying to make the, the mental or psychological profile fit. And we've seen that happen quite a few times now. And I think Mizrahi and Gravenberg are both examples of it. They were younger type players who expected immediate starting roles. They did not think they needed to have any ramp up period. And I know that's maybe making an assumption about Mizrahi and, and Gravenberg in, in terms of starting, but they wanted a lot of playing time. It's pretty hard to get that without starting. Like you're, you, there's no sub anywhere that's coming in, getting half hour to 45 minutes every game in key positions especially when there's great depth on a team. So I do think that there was something off with Brazo when he was, when he was making these moves, not that he couldn't identify talent, but he didn't necessarily get the full fit. Sure. They might fit as a profile in what you want in midfield or what you want in a right back. And they, they might have all the physical attributes, but how did they fit in terms of, you know, how, how were they going to react mentally if they didn't get the playing time they wanted, or if they didn't get the starting role that they felt like they deserved. Now, I think we're, we're, we're starting to feel, you know, the punishment of that, that these players had an idea and uh, Brazo might've sold them on something or the club might've given them an indication that they were going to have larger roles when simply they did not. And now you get to a point where Mizrahi and Gravenberg in particular are both a year into their stay at Bayern Munich and both reportedly are eager to leave. So uh, both of those situations will have some kind of trickle-down effect. To me, at this point, Mizrahi would be the bigger loss than Gravenberg because I think there's less certainty around how they would replace him. Uh, going out and getting Rafael Guerrero, I mean, he's more of a, of a left back than a right back. I mean, you certainly have Stanisic there. I don't know if Stanisic is ready for a full-time starting 11 role. Um, something makes me doubt that he, he is. I think he's got some good talent. I don't know if he's ever going to be that starting level player. I think he he fell into a good niche under Nagelsmann playing as a center back in a back three. I think that was actually his best role. But uh, I don't know if he's going to ever be that kind of right back that that Bayern Munich wants. So, uh, you know, with him, it, it, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to come in and do what you want him to do. So if you if you whiff on on Walker and Mesrali undoubtedly wants to get out, you have it all of a sudden you have this hole at right back that you need to address. And I know Conrad Limer can play out there, but Bayern certainly did not get Limer to play him at right back. Uh, so I wouldn't count on that being any type of major fix there. So, you know, with Masrali, if this if this situation persists and he continues to want to leave, it could definitely be a situation where Bayern might have to look at selling him, even if they don't have a requisite replacement right now. Because if Dreesen's comments are to be taken seriously, they, they don't want that kind of player in the locker. As for Gravenberg, it's still kind of complex. We saw Liverpool reportedly remove itself from the race for Gravenberg this week. He's starting to get some interest from teams in Italy. He's all, he's already had interest from premier league teams. I mean, he's got a lot of physical attributes and, and just his overall talent. It, it tells you like he is an appealing player to a lot of clubs. Uh, they believe in his potential. Bayern Munich, I think also believes in Gravenberg's potential. The problem is they have, 
Yeshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Conrad Limer. You have Rafael Guerrero, who could play as a defensive midfielder. You've, you've got talent there. I don't know that you need Gravenberg this season. Is he going to be happy having a very minor role? I mean, we we have seen reports that his training habits haven't always been the best. So, I mean, is that going to become an issue? And is it fair to the player if he's in an if he's forced to be in an environment where he doesn't want to be, where he's not going to embrace the challenge, is it fair to even keep him there? And yeah, I mean, like I have more of an old school mentality where it's just like deal with it. You sign the contract, you go and you fight hard for your position. If you're not good enough, you're not good enough. The modern athletes not built the same way. Not all of them anyway. And Gravenberg, you know, after all of the griping last season, which I, I really, to me, I felt like I was very put off by that. Not just because he went to the media, but because he did it several times. And at one point he said he had not spoken to the club. Uh, I think it was maybe during the third or fourth time he went to the media. So he had not even addressed the situation with the club as of yet. Um, and, and that's a problem. I think, when you're a young kid, if you if you have issues with your role, you first go to the coach, you maybe second go to the person that signed you. Not that you're going to get the results that you want or the answer that you want, but you're going to let it be known that you know you were under the impression you had a different idea of of what your role might be or or how much you might be used. So at least it's on their radar. Going to the media is is always a no-no to me. I think it's it shows a mental weakness, to be honest with you. It shows a lot of immaturity. Uh, listen, if it's Thomas Muller complaining that Tuchel's not using him, that's a different story. Muller is a club legend. And quite frankly, the team was better when he was on the field. So if he would have went at the tail end of last season and, and took a different route than he had taken and complained to the media, I could almost understand that coming from a veteran player. From a young guy, not going to ever buy that it's the right move. And I just think it, it it hurts your reputation as a player. So with Gravenberg, I'm almost expecting him to move on. I think Byron does like him. I think they like his talent, but I think he's not going to get nearly enough playing time to keep him happy. As things stand, it looks like Tuchel's going to play a 4-2-3-1, which with Kimmich, Goretzka, and Limer, and, and you want to toss Guerrero into that mix, if he's going to play some centrally, it, it could be very difficult for Gravenberg to get anywhere near the playing time that he wants. Another player who you would think would be in that midfield mix is Marcel Sabitzer, but the market for Sabitzer is kind of weird. He's coming off a very good season, and it's not like he just had this good season in the Bundesliga, which people love to equate to the Farmers League. But he went and he did it in the Premier League and was a very good player for Manchester United. So you would think that after that, and, and he did have a great first half of the season with Bayern Munich as well. After putting together that kind of season, you would think that Sabitzer would be getting a lot of interest, could maybe even be in a position to bring some extra cash to Bayern Munich via a sale. As we found out this week, Bayern's just trying to unload Sabitzer for $15 million, which is pretty low ball selling price. Like I, I think he is worth far more than that. But even with that low price, there doesn't seem to be a major market for him. And it's, it's very curious to me as to why. And, and I can't figure it out because if you would have told me after his first season in Bayern Munich, there was no market for him and that it might be difficult to sell him. 
I would have said, okay, because quite frankly, he made the move to Byron, never mentally adjusted to, to not being the man, not being a starter and, and had a terrible season. Came out second year with a new mindset, worked hard, played great for Byron, played great for Manchester United. Now I don't get it because I do feel like he has done everything that he could do given the situation he was in. And it, it, he seems to be an afterthought in this transfer market. We don't see Byron fielding offers for him at this point, at least that we know of. There's not a lot of buzz. Like around Gravenberg, there's been a little bit of buzz. Around Mesrawi, there's been some buzz. For Sabitzer, it's just not there right now. And I do worry that you get to the end of the window and if there's no team that desperately needs a midfielder, that he ends up sticking with Bayern Munich for the Hinrunde, which, listen, in my mind, it would be great because I feel like it would give Tuchel options, but it doesn't look like Tuchel really is a big fan of Sasser. So he could just be stuck mired on the bench with no role. And I think that would be the worst thing for him at this stage of his career much like anyone, if you have the talent to be a starter, you need to find some place to play. And uh, Sabitzer staying at Byron any longer than he has to probably won't work. Uh, bringing in his old buddy on the club scene and national team, Limer, is definitely something that is going would directly impact Marcel Sabitzer's playing time. So I think Sabitzer's got to go. I just don't know where and I don't know what Byron is going to get for him, whatever they get, it won't be really enough to account for what he's truly worth. I think he's still a pretty great player. He just needs to be somewhere and have a consistent role where he can impact games. And I think he showed with Manchester United, he's fully capable of still doing that. <sighs> Finally, uh, when we're talking about transfers and this, this grouping of players that we had, Sadio Mane's situation definitely is, is puzzling. We keep seeing reports that there are multiple clubs in the Middle East that want him. And then we see other reports where his PR guy, terrible PR flacky that he is, or his agent or whoever comes out and they say, oh, no, these rumors are untrue. The bottom line on Mane is this. He had a terrible first season in Bayern Munich, and you can debate my use of the word terrible all you want. If you think that performance was worthy of all the hype and all the the post Lewandowski planning and how he was going to help fill that void. If you think that, that Mane's performance was worth all of that, then, uh, then we're never going to agree. I think Mane still has talent. I think Mane is a, a much more selfish player than anyone wants to admit because he's been labeled as such a good guy at every stop. He, he did not come in and adapt his game. And as I talked about last week, his PR guy coming in and blaming the other Bayern Munich players for for Mane's going offside. I mean, come on, man. I, I'm not going to go down that road again, but Mane did not perform the way he was supposed to. He did not give Byron what they needed. And knowing all that, I'm okay with selling him. I, I don't even want him mostly because, like, listen, aside of not performing, he had two blowups in the locker room. And yeah, I reference that a lot, but I can't imagine he's super popular with anybody. You want to go after a coach, that's bad enough. You want to punch one of your teammates, that, that that's crossing a line, especially when it's someone who is as popular on that Bayern Munich team as Leroy Sané. So there are issues there. And then you 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 throw in, he, he's had some ironically bad PR coming from his own PR guy. It's not a good setup. I think you need to get kind of that bad 
those bad vibes off the team. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it. I think this Byron team is close knit. I think when you bring in that element, someone that's not on the same page as everyone else, you know, I think it takes away from some things and it, it certainly caused a distraction during last season. So if Byron can unload him, I don't care if they get 5 million for Mane, get his 23 million euro salary off the books and move on. And I, I here's what I can guarantee you. He'll probably go somewhere else and be successful because he'll probably be able to play in a system that's more aligned to what his talents are and what his skill set is. He certainly didn't get that in Byron. And I know that that's part of the issue that happened, but when you are supposed to be this great player, you have to overcome maybe not playing the, your preferred position or your preferred system or given or, or playing the exact role that you had in Liverpool. You have to be able to take your talents and meld that into a new role. He certainly didn't do that, at least in my eyes. And I'm more than happy to let him go. Uh, you know, there are some reservations I might have with Mizrahi or Gravenberg or Sabitzer for various reasons. I could find qualities in them that I think could be assets to Bayern Munich down the road. Uh, bear in mind, I'm not opposed to selling any of them because this is the transfer market after all. And sometimes you have to make those deals. But with Mane, he would be number one on my personal list just because of all the baggage that he carries right now. I don't just think, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think his salary is worth it. I don't think what he gives you on the field is worth it. So if Sadio Mane leaves, I'm 100% okay with that. The last thing we're going to hit on right now is something I've really wanted to talk about. And it's something that I think is really like flying under the radar right now. And that's the status of Leon Goretzka. Goretzka, there's no easy way to put it, took a beating uh, on social media last season. From Bayern fans, uh, anyone that's on social media, he was ridiculed, slammed, uh, just just crushed, really, by a, a lot of people. Undeservedly so in my eyes, but uh, you listen, people are frustrated. They look for a whipping boy. We saw it happen with Benjamin Pavar. We've seen it happen to many other players over the years. Last season, it was Leon Gretzka's turn to, to take the heat. The problem with that is sometimes it is just fan overreaction. And then that's, it happens, right? People are fans. They get angry. They get overexcited, whatever. It can happen. But if I'm Leon Gretzka, I'm looking at things like this. I had it, what I would say at best, an average season to slightly above average season. Like, I, I don't think he was as nearly as bad as many people did. I, I don't think he had a good season by any means, but I didn't think it was terrible. And I look at that if I'm him and I say, all right, well, I, I'm under heat. And some of this heat was probably brought on myself because, you know, the perception now is that Gretzka was a distraction with Germany and the whole armband controversy and that. He was one of the people driving that, and, and that was an unpopular thing in the locker room. So people started to like push some of the, the blame for Germany's issues on him. So that put some heat on him. Then he didn't come out and have just a kick-ass season. Let's be honest. It was, like I said, average at best. So, you know, he started to take some heat there. And, and sure, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances. You had Kimmich really kind of issuing all of his responsibilities as a number six and wanting to push more up the field, which offset the balance, which Goretzka ended up paying for a lot. Um, it, it, there was a lot going on and Goretzka, for whatever reason, he became the player that, that was directly in the crosshairs of fans. But the biggest thing is now you have Thomas Tuchel, who does not appear to be a big fan of Goretzka. And 
if you're Leon Gretzka, you have to look at your career and where you're at. It was just two years ago where many people thought Leon Gretzka was one of the up and coming, if not most solid box to box midfielders in all of world football. That was when he was 25, 26 years old and, and he had vast potential and he looked like he was going to become a physical force that other teams were going to have a lot of trouble dealing with. Now, however, he's 28. His position in the, in the club itself is not solidified. He is no longer a surefire starter. It appears that the coach is just not a fan of him. And I think if you're Leon Goretzka, as much as you might love Bayern Munich, as much as you might love your teammates, it's going to be too frustrating to deal with if you're sitting on the bench. And listen, for Goretzka, he's already an established veteran. This is not Ryan Gravenberg right now. This is not Nusar Mizrahi, you know, complaining after his first season with the club. Goretzka has been here. He's been an established starter. A new coach has come in and doesn't really care for his game, or at least that's how it appears. I think he's going to have to seriously consider asking Bayern Munich if he can leave. I don't think Goretzka is necessarily going to become a distraction if he's not playing, but he's going to be unhappy. And he will absolutely be a player who does use the media to his advantage. Say what you want about Goretzka. He has been very PR savvy in how he uses the media over the years. Uh, listen, the guy has done a lot of great charitable things. He has had a lot of great stances on social justice issues. Uh, he is a player who embodies almost everything you would want. He works extremely hard. He realized he needed to transform himself and took himself from a relatively scrawny guy into a physical presence and has helped his game. He has committed himself to getting better. He did not get the results he wanted on the pitch last season. He did not get the support of the manager that he probably wanted after last season. So now I think if you're him, I think it is a situation where you're looking at the club bringing in Limer. They have Rafael Guerrero, who, again, not known as a midfielder mostly, but can certainly play there and could become a, an option there, a starting option there. I think Goretzka could easily go from being the number two midfielder on this team to the number four midfielder very quickly. And I think he's smart enough to know that. So if I'm Goretzka, I'm going to have a, a frank and open conversation with Tuchel. What we know about Tuchel is he's maybe honest to a fault and that he's going to tell Goretzka exactly where he stands, what his role would be. And I don't think Goretzka, if he does ultimately have that conversation, is going to like what he hears. And I do feel like at the end of this window, we could see Goretzka moving on. Where he might land is a big question. I often thought about Goretzka suiting up for Dortmund, and I know that that's uh, maybe a uh, <laughs> might be tough based on his Schalke connection, but. I think that the Dortmund would make a lot of sense for him, but I also wouldn't rule out going to a foreign league, maybe going to Italy or to England where his game, I think would translate well. And if he had the freedom to really play that box to box role unhindered, I think he could be very successful, especially in Italy. I, I mean, I think physically in England, Gretzka would become a problem for other midfielders to deal with. And I think he could be a force there. But I think in Italy he would he would really stand to to be able to 
not just achieve success, but become one of the players that's that's kind of reinvented himself and 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 regained a certain stature that he's clearly losing at Bayern Munich. So one of the things that I know I'll be really zeroing in on is what happens with Goretzka and how this relationship between he and Tuchel works out over the course of this summer. I think it'll be bluntly obvious by early August, which is, oh man, it's just a month away this summer. As crazy as the sound is, is, is not that far from being over. I'm going to enjoy the next two months. Trust me. But it does. It tends to fly by, especially when you're an old, uh, old head like me. But uh, if I'm Goretzka, I'm going to assess my situation. And if I don't like what I'm seeing, I'm probably going to try and leave. And I think that it would not be out of uh, the question for Goretzka to request a transfer at that point. So um, again, sometimes I get on here and the, the things that I feel, I'm not just saying them to say them like we're not following the ESPN hot take route here. I genuinely am looking at the situation and, and trying to put myself into that player's head and project what he would do. And I, I just feel like Goretzka's time at Bayern Munich could be coming to an end uh, in just about a month or so. I think that's when it would really start to become a push. And then in the weeks after that, uh, we could see him leave. So something to keep an eye on. I know Goretzka, while he does have his detractors out there, was an immensely popular player at, at Bayern at one point. So uh, I respect this game, uh, like a lot about what he brings to the table. He could use a, a little bit of a jolt this season, uh, could definitely re-energize himself and come back a little more focused and, and play with a little more urgency, which I think you could say about a lot of Bayern Munich players after last season. They just they didn't play with enough urgency. They weren't urgent enough in, in trying to uh, go out and do everything that was needed to win games. So that's where we're going to end this program. I appreciate everyone. Again, for all of your support during our award award-winning campaign for this season, uh, hopefully we can do it again. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. Get our tweetmeister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams seventy one. You can get I need no name at BFWINNN, and of course, check out BavarianFootballWorks.com. Get all of your latest and greatest. Bayern Munich and Germany news, and you get all of our talented writers and podcasters. You have access to all of them. If you just hit the website, please keep checking it out. You're going to get some great content there, especially during this transfer window. But like everyone else, I know I'm already looking forward to games restarting because this transfer game is hard dog. Uh, (laughs) We will uh, uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you next time. Have a couple of beers on me.